Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. I'm not superstitious, but I'm, I am a little stitious. God is not pleased. We have enemies of the faith and the kingdom. The Order of the Knights Templar spit on the cross of Christ before denying his divinity and engaging in indecent kissing. Their order worship idols and have been corrupted financially. The leaders of the Knights Templar have committed fraud and hide behind their oaths of secrecy. This so-called monastic order has degraded the virtues of our society and they must be stopped. In the name of our king, Philip the Fair of France, we must march against this egregious order of the Knights Templar and put an end to these atrocities. The brutal suppression movement against the Knights Templar started on Friday, October 13th, 1307. Yes, the infamous Friday the 13th, the day that superstitions are made of and black cats are most feared. Today is Friday the 13th, so I decided to release the episode two days early to explain why things are extra spooky. So, why is it that Friday the 13th is so feared? It is so bad that there are two different phobias used to name the fear of the day. The first, Frigga Tri Kai Decaphobia, it is so named as Frigga is the name of the Norse goddess who is the namesake of Friday. Tri means three, Kai means ant, Deca means ten, Phobia means fear. So fear of Friday the 13th. The second is Paraskeev Decatriophobia. This having a fully Greek etymology as Paraskevi means Friday, Decatrice means 13, Phobia meaning fear. Do these really cool and long words only exist because of a brutal suppression of the Knights Templar in the 14th century? If you're unfamiliar with the Knights Templar, formerly known as the Poor Fellow Soldiers of Christ and of the Temple of Solomon, they were a Catholic military order that existed from 1119 CE, although they were not officially recognized until 1139, and they existed until somewhere around 1312 following the Fourth Dissolution by King Philip IV. The Knights Templar famously fought in the Crusades and became one of the wealthiest such organizations in that time period due to a series of loans given to kings and lords, along with the custom of anyone joining the order donating their worldly fortune to the order. The induction ceremony and much of the order's motivations were shrouded in secrecy, which bred distrust. This distrust helped lead to the brutal suppression and dissolution, but the secrecy and sudden disappearance also has left a legacy of speculation and conspiracy theories. One of the most persisting conspiracy theories involves a belief that the Knights Templar found Christian relics and drew power from them, including the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. This theory can be attested as far back as to Wolfram von Eschenbach's fictional book Parsival, which is said to have been first published in the first quarter of the 13th century. This book was published in Middle High German, so you may be more familiar with the English translation, Percival that is Percival from the King Arthur mythos. The story is about Percival's quest for the Holy Grail, and in this quest he encounters the Templis who guarded the Holy Grail. The book does not state that it was the Templars, but the order was close enough to the fictional Templis that the legend that the Templars were the actual guardians took root and has remained a popular myth ever since. 
The popularity of the Templars took a little hit after their dissolution, but by the 17th and 18th century, the legend of these ancient defenders of the Christian faith was popular again. It is said that secret organizations, such as the Freemasons, attempt to mimic certain elements of the Knights Templars. There was a common rumor that after the Templar dissolution, the remaining members formed the first Mason community, but it has been found that the person who started that rumor was actually a Mason who was trying to make the Masons seem more ancient and illustrious. Over the past hundred years, the Knights Templar have grown especially popular. You've likely seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It is a Templar who is guarding the Grail. The best-selling book, The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, even specifically mentions the dissolution of the Templars on Friday the 13th, 1307, and the stories of the Templars play an important role throughout the book. So how did such a popular and secretive society end up extinct at the beginning of the 14th century? Well, the short story is that they lent a lot of money to the King of France. The king was in a bit of a bind as he did not have a good way to pay back his debts. The secretive nature of the Knights Templar, along with rumors that the Templars actually worship Baphomet, turned public opinion against the Templars. King Philip IV decided to take the opportunity to eradicate the order, steal even more of their wealth, and of course, with no order, he would never have to repay his debts. The first arrest order for the Knights Templar was issued by King Philip on Friday, October 13, 1307. The arrests were violent, and the individuals who were arrested were subsequently tortured until they confessed to all of their crimes. Once they confessed, they were often put to death. The bloody nature of the arrests, along with the Knights Templar former popularity as a charitable foundation, could make this a pretty monumental occasion. After the dissolution of the Templars, the rumors of Baphomet worship helped to popularize the Templar order with the various members of the occult and the practitioners of witchcraft. It then could make sense that the popularity of the Templars, with these, we'll say, unsavory members of society, could help to build a superstition around the defunct order and especially for their inauspicious ending. Bloodshed and torture are always great ways to begin a superstition and spread the idea that a day like Friday the 13th is a doomed day. The Knights Templar arrest date is perhaps the most popular explanation of for the origin of Friday the 13th, but unfortunately beyond the fact that if you tell the story as I have thus far, it could make sense for it to be the origin. But there is really no evidence that this is where the superstition began. At least there is no evidence that anyone associated the two until the 20th century. In fact, there is evidence that Friday the 13th was not a superstitious event at all until the year 1907. Since then, multiple publications have popularized the idea of Friday the 13th as being superstitious, and since we humans love superstitions, we have grasped it. After the date was established, fiction writers have attempted to push the date back to older and more legitimate origins so that their audience is that much more captivated by the prospect. I will explain more fully in a moment, but first we need to explore the origins of the phobias and negative associations with the number 13 and the day of Friday. On its face, the number 13 does not seem like an all that remarkable number. After all, it is just a natural number that follows 12 and precedes 14. 13 gets a couple of cool points by appearing in the Fibonacci sequence, and from that designation as being one of only three Wilson prime numbers. Beyond that is really just a 1 and 3 mashed together. Yet, despite what Jim Carrey might try to convince you of about the number 23, the number 13 is the most superstitious and supernatural number. Okay, perhaps 666 has a claim, so I'll qualify and just say, one of the most. The fear of the number 13, or Treiskaidekophobia, even appears to alter building habits. 
In the early days of tall buildings, we decided to just stop at 12 floors so that we would not have to deal with the bad luck of having a 13th floor. In 2002, an employee of the Otis Elevator Company was asked about this phenomenon. Otis Elevator was founded back in 1853 and has grown to be one of the more famous and popular elevator companies. The employee estimated that a full 85% of buildings with Otis brand elevators did not have a 13th floor for fear of the number. This prohibition on a 13th floor is sometimes from the perspective of the building owner who fears the number and sometimes from a concern that the public at large will avoid a building that has a 13th floor. A New York Times article backs up this assertion with a finding that most apartments in the city skip the 13th floor and quotes the general manager of Leaf Rack Management Company as estimating that 90% of high-rises skip the 13th floor. It is far easier to just skip the floor in the number scheme so that it does not hurt the business. However, it should be noted that from my search, this aversion does seem to be subsiding and seems to be more a symptom of the older days when many buildings were first built rather than a present-day fear. Another popular belief is that negative superstitions have been associated with the number 13 from as far back as Hammurabi. Hammurabi's code is one of the oldest deciphered writings in the world and is considered one of the oldest written codes of law in the world. The code was published around the year 1754 BCE and contains a total of 282 laws. Perhaps most famous is the eye for an eye punishment. If you would like to read the full text of the Code of Hammurabi, it can be found for free on the Yale Law School's Avalon Project website. The version that they have on the website was translated by L.W. King and is one of the earliest and perhaps most popular. In King's translation, the Code of Law are numbered from 1 to 282, except that the laws 66 to 99 have been lost and the number 13 was skipped. The skipped number gave rise to the belief that the ancient Babylonians also feared the number 13. Unfortunately, this popular belief is from a clerical error. The original code did not number the laws. The numbers were added by King to make it easier for the modern-day readers to separate the laws. The number 13 was simply missed and was not left out for any sinister reason. Translations that followed King's always included the number 13 if they chose to number the laws at all. An actual explanation for the unluckiness of the number 13 can be found as it compares to its predecessor, the number 12. The number 12 has a long tradition of being seen as the complete number. This would hold that the number that follows it is somehow incomplete. As evidence, there were 12 gods of Olympus, and Heracles had to perform 12 labors. There were 12 tribes of Israel, there are 12 days of Christmas, we have 12 months and 12 zodiac signs, in ancient times, it was common to break the day into 12 daytime hours and 12 nighttime hours, and this is why we still count the time in two increments of 12 rather than just counting to 24. A solar year has 12.41 lunar rotations per year, so 12 complete rotations and then an incomplete 0.41 that is sometimes said to hold bad tidings. Even having a dozen of something seems normal. So maybe think twice before you get a baker's dozen of something. The number 13 is then compared to the perfect and complete number. In many ways, it is found lacking in that comparison. However, despite that initial piece of bad by comparison, the number 13 has several indications of being an unlucky number by itself and has developed as unlucky from a religious tradition. In Christianity, the Last Supper had 13 attendees, and at least since the 1890s, it is said that Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, was the 13th person to sit at the table that night. Judas is then said to be the 13th guest at the Last Supper, 
and the 13th apostle. So the number 13 takes on the face of a person who would betray the Son of God. This is where the Christian superstition that having 13 guests at a table is a bad omen. A similar but older tale comes to us from Norse mythology. The gods were having a lovely dinner party with 12 guests in Valhalla. The trickster god Loki then crashed the party and shot the god of joy and happiness, Baldr, with a poisoned arrow. As he was the 13th guest of the party, the idea of 13 at a party, and the number 13 in general, took on a negative quality. These two fateful dinners gave rise to the 13 at a table superstition that believed that having 13 dinner guests at one party was unlucky and would lead to one of the guests dying soon after. This is due to Jesus dying soon after the Last Supper and Balder dying from the poison after the 13th guest arrived. I read in a New York Times article from 1977 by Dan Karlinski that this superstition was so strong in France that it actually became a professional occupation to be a dinner guest for hire so no party would end up with 13 members and instead the professional would make 14. According to Karlinski, these professionals were called catorces, as they were the 14th chair. This almost reminds me of the seat fillers job at award shows. Personally, I would like to apply for both jobs. It is fairly common for any superstition to have those who do not believe in it and scoff at anyone who does. I definitely know a number of people who will purposely walk under a ladder or past a black cat just to make a point that superstitions have no power. This 13 at a table superstition was no different and a society known as the 13 Club was created by Captain William Fowler for the purpose of debunking the myth. The club met on the 13th of the month at the Knickerbocker Cottage in New York, and a 13-course dinner was served for 13 people at each table. In 1887, over 400 people claimed membership in the club, including the future United States presidents Chester Arthur, Grover Cleveland, Benjamin Harrison, William McKinley, and Theodore Roosevelt. The dinner included a rite in which each member would pass under a ladder with the banner that read, Moturi te salutamus, which is Latin for, those of us who are about to die salute you. I've always wondered if ACDC somehow took their lyric from this party. This 13 Club is actually the second origin for the Friday the 13th superstition that we are going to discuss. The New York Historical Society published a blog post that stated that this club had their first dinner on Friday, January 13, 1882. No ill came to any members of the society but it did capture some popular imagination, especially since so many members went on to be quite successful. So it would reason that the combination gave rise to the superstition. Unfortunately, it has since been found that the 13 Club's first meeting was actually on Tuesday, September 13, 1881, and no evidence exists that draw any sort of connection between the rise of the parties and the superstition of Friday the 13th. So with 13 explained and another origin debunked, let us turn our attention to Friday. If you have ever heard Rebecca Black's Friday, then you probably have a dislike of the day. But beyond that song, most people like Fridays. It is payday in many professions, and the first day of the weekend for school children and those who are lucky enough to have a Monday to Friday job. With all this good, why did our ancestors think that Friday was so unlucky? One explanation is rooted within the Judeo-Christian tradition that Jesus Christ was crucified on a Friday, known colloquially as Good Friday, it is further believed that Eve gave Adam the apple from the tree of knowledge on a Friday, and thus Friday was the day that it started original sin, which does sound like the first day of a weekend to me. It is also the day that Cain killed his brother Abel, 
Outside of religion, Friday is seen as an unlucky day by sailors. Specifically, it is unlucky to set sail and begin a voyage on a Friday. Once you are already out to sea, it seems like it's fine, but starting a trip on a Friday was sure to doom the voyage. This is attested to in Admiral William Henry Smith's The Sailor's Word Book. The aversion to setting sail on Fridays actually led to a popular urban legend that has been well circulated but is completely fabricated. The legend states that the Royal Navy of Great Britain attempted to dispel the myth that setting sail on a Friday was unlucky and did so by naming a ship named the HMS Friday, putting it under the command of Captain James Friday and then having her set sail for her maiden voyage on Friday the 13th. The ship was, of course, never heard from again. Unfortunately, the Royal Navy has never named a ship the HMS Friday, and the story was completely made up. It is unclear who first told the lie, but it was popularized in 1971 by British comedian Dave Allen. So the general superstition for Friday is a bit less than the general superstition of the number 13, but both have existed for generations. Our next step to discovering our tale is to find out when these two superstitions were linked to form the date we know and love today. One nice thing about the past 20 years or so is that we have the ability to analyze data based on what people Google. This is valuable in that it can tell us when certain memes started as the day that an explosion in people Googling a certain phrase tell us when it became popular. Unfortunately, we do not have that for the pre-internet world. I am familiar with Google Ngrams, but while this is a very interesting tool, from what I read and from what I have tested, Ngrams does not present an accurate representation of language usage past 100 or 200 years. Instead, we have to rely on printed books, physical evidence, and of course people not only finding it, but reporting it. Superstitions like Friday the 13th may not have had any need to be represented in such material. For instance, the earliest mention I could find of even a possibility of the superstition was in an 1869 biography written by the British journalist Henry Sutherland Edwards. Here is the relevant quote. He was surrounded to the last by admiring friends, and if it be true, like so many Italians, he regarded Fridays as an unlucky day and 13 as an unlucky number. It is remarkable that, on Friday the 13th of November, he passed away. The quote shows that by the 19th century, it was common to associate the number 13 and the day of Friday as unlucky, but a critical reading of the quote seems to indicate that a widespread superstition about the two together was not yet a phenomena in the English world. It seems that people would sometimes make the connection when something unfortunate like dying occurred, but based on this writing and similar writings, there were no active ideas that Friday the 13th was an inherently evil day. Presumably, as a British journalist, Edwards would have been aware of such a superstition if one existed in either Great Britain or in Italy. This rather small quote is not a great piece of evidence, and it is nowhere near sufficient to prove the existence or lack of existence of the superstition. However, from my research, I am confident in stating that the Friday the 13th superstition as we know it today, where you can bring it up to just about any English speaker and they will be at least familiar with it, did not exist prior to the 19th century. There may have been a few extra superstitious people who did not like Fridays and did not like 13s for the reason we have already discussed and were therefore extra cautious on Friday the 13th, but popular consensus on such a superstition did not yet exist. The rise in public recognition of the superstition can be traced to mentions in works of fiction. In today's social media world, we are very familiar with people who would be called influencers. 
These are the people who have such a large following that they can easily start a trend of certain phrases or memes or what have you. This is true of any type of content that is massively consumed. Some brands have made their entire ad campaigns on finding these catchphrases that capture the public so that the brand will be talked about every time you mention the phrase. Budweiser is one of the most successful brands at doing this. Think about how quickly people started saying dilly dilly after the ads appeared this past football season, or to go a little further back in time, the What's Up commercials that first appeared in 1999. What's Up was almost never used prior to the commercial, but afterward you could not go anywhere in the early 2000s without someone saying, What's Up? Friday the 13th has a similar origin, except it was in a book. In 1907, the author Thomas W. Lawson published one of his most popular books, Friday the 13th. The book sold 28,000 copies in the first week, which was quite good for the time. It still does not appear on the list of Publishers Weekly list of 10 best-selling novels of 1907 or 1908, but still it had a cultural impact as it officially tied a link between the two separate superstitions that would thereafter stay together. The book is about a stock market trader who attempts to rig the stock market to bring down Wall Street on Friday the 13th. This book is given dramatic irony as in the very same year that he published the book that would help popularize the superstition, the author would receive a terrible news on Friday the 13th. Lawson invested heavily into a seven-masted, steel-hulled schooner that he named after himself. Lawson was a millionaire from Boston. The boat crashed in the early hours of December 14, 1907 and was destroyed in the Isles of Scilly, somewhat near Cornwall. When Lawson received a call with the news, though, it was still Friday the 13th in Boston. His book and role as an influential stockbroker allowed popular consensus to be found between Friday the 13th and a stock market crash in the early 20th century. This actually seems like it has carried over to modern day as the Stress Management Center and Phobia Institute estimates that between $700 and $800 million are lost every Friday the 13th due to fear to conduct business or make major purchases. However, the S&P 500 saw an average increase on Friday the 13th since the year 2000, so perhaps it is not as bad as it all seems. The stock market crash that happened 22 years after Lawson's book did see a continued rise in the popularity of a book and superstition that seemed to predicted such a crash. Other stories picked up the superstition and to some degrees expanded upon it, one series of note is The Accursed Kings by Maurice Durand. Durand has been called the best French historical novelist since Alexandre Dumas and is a personal hero of George R.R. R. Martin. The Accursed Kings series has even been called Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones, so quite high praise. The book The Iron Throne, the first of the series, came out in 1955 and is one of the first that helped link the Knights Templar to the Friday the 13th superstition. In the book, Philip the Fair persecutes the Knights Templars and has a curse laid upon him and his family by the Templars, thus cursed kings. This helped reignite interest in the Knights Templar and to a lesser extent further spread Friday the 13th. The book Holy Blood, Holy Grail by Jonathan Cape followed in 1982 and explicitly drew the connection between the Templars and the Holy Grail, but more importantly for today, the Templars and Friday the 13th. In fact, a history professor, John Walker, positions a theory that it was this pseudo-history book 
that first connected the Templars to Friday the 13th in the popular imagination, and that before this book no one connected the superstition to the Templars. After various popular publications, starting first with Lawson's book, the Friday the 13th superstition has been a known quantity that played on people's previous superstitions regarding the number 13 and the day of Friday. It then circled around and slowly grew in popularity, but did not fully become the massive superstition that is known by everyone today until May 9, 1980. This is the release date of the slasher film classic, Friday the 13th. This film and its sequels has been described as the most iconic horror franchise ever. If you look at the Google engrams of Friday the 13th, there is a sudden and massive spike in 1980 that has not subsided ever since. Before 1980, the peak percentage of Friday the 13th was 0.00002647.8% in 1944. Since 1980, it has maintained double that every year. So if we are looking for our influencer who made Friday the 13th what it is today, then look no further than Jason Voorhees. In conclusion then, Friday the 13th is the product of two pre-existing superstitions that eventually grew together in the popular imagination. It was then given license in publication and fiction starting with Thomas W. Lawson's Friday the 13th, but peaking with the Friday the 13th horror film franchise. Admitting that Friday the 13th is spawned from fiction rather than a really cool real story like the arrest of the Knights Templars on Friday the 13th, 1307, or the bombing of Buckingham Palace in World War II on Friday the 13th, 1940, or Tupac Shakur's succumbing to his injuries and dying on Friday the 13th, 1996, or the Kitty Genovese murder on Friday the 13th, 1964, or the mini stock market crash on Friday the 13th, 1989, is a bit disappointing. Unfortunately, none of these cooler events are the origin. It is an interesting track record of unfortunate events, though. So after all this, do you believe that Friday the 13th is a supernaturally evil day and major life changes should be avoided on Friday the 13th? In other words, are you superstitious or only a little stitious? I am fascinated to know, and that brings us to the end of our episode on Friday the 13th. If you liked today's episode, then make sure you subscribe using your favorite podcast app, including the one where we host the show, Acast, and I believe everywhere else podcasts are available. If you would like to connect with the show, we are on Facebook and Twitter at WhyIsThatPod. The website is whyisthatpodcast.blogspot.com, or you can email me at whyisthatpod at gmail.com. Sources for today's episode includes History.com, Live Science, National Geographic, The Templar Knight, The New York Times, Insider, CNBC, and a couple smaller sources. Thank you so much for listening to the Why Is That Podcast episode about the Friday the 13th superstition. We will return for our regularly scheduled program on Sunday, July 29th, 2018, with our next show about why it is that we drive on the side of the road that we do. You will not want to miss it. Cheers.